0: He puts the Bedner in Hirsch Bedner Associates. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bedner. Hello, all. Uh, Mike. Michael, w- welcome and thank you so much. What I want to say as we start off, when I think about one of the reasons why I started this podcast of defining hospitality, I had no idea what hospitality was until I was, I guess, the ripe old age of 18 years old. And I moved out to California, I met your son, Misha, and he invited me to your home. And I just remember, not just me being made to feel so comfortable, but everyone that seemed to walk off the beach was made to feel so comfortable. And it was just, um, it was a life-changing experience for me. And it actually helped draw me down this path because of you being this all welcoming bear And when I look at your body of work and what you've done in your life, as far as making others feel comfortable, um, you're like one of the star reasons that I actually started this whole conversation. And I'm just so excited and grateful that you're in my life, but also here right now.
1: Well, thank you, Dan. You're being very kind. You're much too kind. If I remember correctly, I also made you wash windows and pull the wood in from outside and clean the deck. And so that was my form of hospitality.
0: Yeah. And the, I remember uh, now, now that you bring that up, I would wash the windows. I would clean the deck. I would bring wood in. And it was never done the right way. You would never. always <laughs> coach me or yell at me at how, what the right way to do it is.
1: Well, I, I thought that was coaching.
0: <laughs> right. It, was, it is was co- a
1: little hard of hearing. So I thought I'd, I'd have to up my game here a little but no, I've I, I always te- I've always teased you. You're one of the surrogate sons, and I'm very appreciative of your father saying it's okay as long as when he's in California, you could abuse him. So I took that to heart. Fact, I have to thank your father for that.
0: Well, but, yeah, he said a lot of great things, and I'm glad you did abuse me in your own way because it always showed me that um, no matter what the end result is, there can always be more, right? We can always lean into it more and get it. And I guess the real balance is like, how do you know when a work is done? Any kind of work, whether it's a Picasso or sweeping the deck or spraying hose, spraying the deck.
1: It never is, as you all know, in your business, in our business, you're in the hospitality business. You understand it. Whatever you give people has to be the best you can do. That was always our saying at HBA. We always, we had three, precepts at HBA when I took over the firm uh, after Howard's passing. It was basically, one, you do the best damn job you can. There's no excuses. The architect never knows what he's doing. The owner never knows what they want. We never have enough time. There's never enough money. No excuses. You do the best damn job you can. Secondarily, there was always, you better enjoy this because if you don't enjoy it, you have to find another th- something else to do. Find another trade. If you're not loving this, get out. I always would point to the door. Occasionally, people would walk towards the door, uh, which was probably good for them and us. The third one, which was very, very important, you must grow and learn from the experience. You can make all kinds of mistakes on a project. It was our job to back you up, cover it, fix it. But if you didn't learn from the experience, there was no reason for you to stick around for yet another chance at, at wonderful failure. But if you learn, that's great. If you're enjoying the process, that's so important. And if you're doing the best you can, that that was the premier element. We always so, have those three precepts.
0: Yeah. So the, with those three precepts and of- doing the best job you can enjoy it and be open to growing and learning oftentimes through making mistakes and not getting discouraged. If you think about those precepts as it transcends every part of your life and all of the leaders that you've sprouted from like under your Cape uh, in all of your endeavors, if you were to define what hospitality means and I kind of said my, I shared my own way of you were the first time, I really felt that in a whole new land. Um, And you opened up my mind to it. Like, how do you define hospitality?
1: Well, it's not how I define it. It's how people experience it. And uh, Mr. Hirsch, Howard Hirsch, uh, he was my best friend. He was my mentor. And he later became my partner. He was kind enough to bring me on in the firm. He was a man that understood hospitality. We did the first hotel where we designed all aspects of it, which was many years ago, the Beverly Rodeo Hotel. And it was an amazing experience where we planned the rooms, we designed the furniture, we designed the carpet patterns, we designed even some of the upholstery I remember. My great job was to draw everything and and actually in those days, type the specs, if you believe that. Uh, in other words, it was a very small firm. I was Howard's actually first employee. There was Helen Hirsch's wife at the time and myself and Howard, were three of us. Then he hired one lovely young woman, Peggy Samaha, and she was just a great lady too. But there were we were so blessed to, to learn from Howard, uh, he was an amazing, wonderful man, and uh, I still think of him almost every day. He's something that I uh, I owe everything that I know to, and all the other wonderful people that I've rubbed up against, like Schultz with head of Ritz Carlton, uh, Horst, really. Put the concept of hospitality into words and did verbally. He said it was ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. And he was brilliant at the way he would staff, the way he would uh, operate. He, that's why Rich Carlton still is, well, while he was there, still was the number one brand in the world. Mm. I don't know what the with the shift in the market is now because things have mo- uh, morphed and modified since I left the business uh, supposedly a number of years ago. Uh,
0: yeah, you cannot be kept out of doing anything. You're always active and busy. And when you think about that idea of hospitality as you've learned from Howard and also from Horst and you know, you're know, you saying it's others, but I feel like you also help pave a way In there as well. Um, What do you think the most important element of it is?
1: The most important element of hospitality is making someone feel totally comfortable, at ease, and enjoy the experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could do that in an empty room with nothing around you if the service is wonderful and you have a view. Or 98% 98% of the time, you don't always have that amazing view. So you have to provide the atmosphere where you feel, uh, where you have, as Howard would say, a sense of place. You, ha- you had to design something that had a sense of place. In the early days of Ritz Carlton, when we were working with them, I'd wake up in some of the hotels that were previously done, and I'd grab the phone and i said, say, where am I? town in because all the Ritz-Carlton's looked like they were all in Boston. They had the same look, the same furniture. Everything was very similar. And then we did the first Ritz-Carlton that was a contemporary version, which was in Singapore. And that had a huge, uh, I think it was nine foot, eight inches octagonal window in every bathroom with a tub in the middle of it overlooking the entire city of Singapore. It had, uh, the vistas were unbelievable. Uh, We put the first Chihuly in the hotel in the main dining room and in the main lounge on the walls. And they were really well done. They were understated and they were works of art. Uh, When Chihuly went to Las Vegas, they became ceiling patterns. They weren't, no longer works of art. They were schmaltz on the ceiling. And that was always a, a concerning aspect. But that was the first contemporary Ritz and the first one that had a sense of place. It was. What year was years. that? If I could remember that, I'd tell you. Uh, it was, oh God, forty years ago.
0: Wow! And then to think about how everyone looked the same before. What was the process before you guys revolutionized <laughs> how hotels were designed and? and built? Because my understanding is people would just go and pick existing things and drop them in a room. How did you change that?
1: Well, we, as I said, we designed the hotel. We we were planners. We would work on the interior plan. We didn't accept just what was given us as a box and fill it up with furniture. (laughs) We interrelated all the planning of the entire hotel. And since Mr. Hirsch made me work from the back door in and he worked from the front door into the center, I got to do the kitchens and I got to do the back of house and I got to do the loading dock and I got to do all these exciting things when I was a very young designer. But that gave me incredible knowledge of how a hotel functions, literally from the waste bins all the way into the reception desk. And now, as you know, we no longer need reception desks. you could be registered in your room or on your phone or through your headset.
0: Uh, Well, we don't need them, but in a way I kind of still want them in certain cases. I like that initial welcoming, especially if it's done well. If it's just done in a scripted way, I'm not, it's not as magical, but what are your thoughts on all this kind of removal of human interaction as far as it pertains to delivering hospitality.
1: I think uh, that's uh, not doing well hospitality. It's more of a a gathering place for people with computers and iPhones. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's no longer a place where you're meeting and being greeted and you're not meeting new people. You're not building relationships. It's very much like uh, Starbucks, which is a, yeah. uh, uh not the, the most wonderful thing but it's a part of our uh, our lifestyle it's a young person's lifestyle don't ask me you know i'm 38 years old my god i'm way <laughs> over the hell man i'm 38 years old because my donors now 38 years old
0: ah there so we
1: go so i'm very blessed on, in that in that reason in that score
0: do you keep in touch with them
1: i do uh, not as much as I should, but uh, we went over to uh, Bavaria several years ago and met my donor and his family, and it was wonderful. I mean, uh, I would not be here if it wasn't for that gentleman. Even my son Misha, uh, because of the lineage, he had only an eight out of a twelve match on the DNA, and this gentleman had a ten out of a twelve.
0: And that was a bone marrow, correct?
1: What was a No, that was a stem cell transplant. Oh, that stem one. cell. Yeah, it was a stem cell transplant. I could not make, uh, well, just to bring everyone up to speed, uh, I had to leave the firm because I was diagnosed with Burkitt's lymphoma phase four. They were gonna put me in hospice care and I sort of resisted that saying, can you kill the cancer? And of course the doctor said, we probably could kill the cancer but I'll guarantee it will kill you before we kill the cancer. And I said, okay, I reached in my pocket and pulled out whatever cash I had and I threw it on the table and I said, I'll bet you, you can't kill me. And there were two of my friends with two other doctors and there was a third doctor who didn't know how to, what, what to make of this. So one of my friends, of course, picked up the cash, put it in his pocket and says, okay, you have a bet. Um, Well, long story short, they did kill the cancer, but they killed, My immune system, everything internally in in me, so I had to go for for transfusions three times a week. I had to do all kinds of things that were were vast, you know, very very quickly running their course and will allow me to go to the Netherlands. However, um, the city of Hope found this kindly individual in Bavaria and had a Lufthansa plane come to LAX, drop off a couple pints of blood that were enhanced. And I had them put in at 1.30 in the morning. And the next day I was a new person, literally. I had his DNA, I have his, st- his stem cells, all of his internal. Lovely man. Um, and- so
0: Michael, tying the theme of this, of- Of defining hospitality and you said like service and putting others first like to me hotels and everything else it's like it almost i just want to throw it out the window and think about this gentleman who gave part of him for you that seems like the ultimate
1: well that is a great offering but you have to understand there are only four countries in the world that have an automatic uh, system where you have to be check for your DNA. It's Germany, Israel, Finland, and Iceland. And the U.S. should be, all of the countries in the world should have it. All you do is swab your mouth for your DNA. So if there is a need for stem cells, it's really just a blood transfusion. It's not a big deal. It would save many, many lives. I don't know. And I was so pleased because I was the eldest stem cell recipient at the time at the City of Hope at, at 70 because I, I had to leave the firm, uh, which is very difficult for me uh, because I've known nothing but work uh, since I started. However, uh, I left uh, knowing that there should be more done from other people. I'm so blessed. I really shouldn't be sitting here and talking to you, Dan with uh, my, excuse me, my motorcycle accident, this this new stitching here, you know, the, the concussions I, I received playing hockey and football. So there's no reason I'm here. I have no idea. There's something I should be doing.
0: It's interesting how you made a bet to the hospital to try and kill you, right? And like- as,
1: To my doctor, my To friend. your doctor.
0: Okay, but since I've known you, for the better part of 25 years. I feel like you've had, I can at least count five near-death experiences, (laughs) literally near death, from driving off the PCH to crashing a motorcycle to getting jumped by a whole bunch of people to cancer. And I remember seeing you after all of those and it was almost like that idea of keep calm, carry on. I'm sure it hurt physically, but I was just always freaking amazed at how you managed to to smile and take the next step. Like, where does that come from?
1: Well, I have no idea, but it it sure, uh, it it comes from the idea that if you don't persevere, if you don't move on, what are you gonna do? Just give up, walk away? I have never thought that. I've never given up on a project. I've never given up on uh, a competition. Uh, when we were there, we never lost a competition to anyone else uh, at the firm. We built the firm from, as I said, three people, Howard, his wife, and myself, to between fourteen and 1,600 people and 16 offices globally. Uh, if, it cost me my first marriage only because I was never home. I was, a very, I was a lousy father. I have to admit that. I'm so pleased my sons grew up as well as they did.
0: And, and they I, talk to oh, you.
1: I, they talk to me. <laughs> they
0: actually enjoy being around you. I can attest.
1: Well, that's only because I still tease them like I do you. And now they have children, but they know the problems with the children. So mm-hmm. they're grateful that I, I take the kids occasionally. No, they're wonderful. I, I'm blessed. But again, building a company when you're on the road three weeks out of a month is very difficult on a family situation. hmm opened offices in London and Hong Kong, Singapore and Shanghai, you know, in India, et cetera, et cetera. So we're, we're, uh, at the time, we were the number one company in the world. Uh, And and I don't know where we are now because, as I've said before, I never look over my shoulder. Uh, I
0: remember, like, so hearing you talk about that, especially, like, as we're all out of shape from our travel shape or on our road warrior shape, you know, hearing the three weeks out of the month, it, it just sounds exhausting as well. And it brought me back to a time when you, you know, I think I was studying some meditation practice or something, and I was like, Michael, how do you, how would you keep your energy up? You know, if you're jet lagged and all this, would you meditate? Would you do anything? And you're like, no, I just walk down the street to the public library and find a seat in there and take a nap.
1: <laughs> True. Uh, it happened more often than I care to admit, but I—it was my way of saying, "Well, I really have to learn more. I want to know more." And I'd always get a great book, and uh, after about ten or fifteen pages, I would take a nap. It was a mm. normal thing, but it was—it was a rejuvenization meditation, if you will, because you think you're learning, you're trying to learn you're trying to do better, and uh, and you're resting. And that really cal- it calmed me down. Anyway. That was mm-hmm. you wrong. Know, going to the neighborhood pub and having a couple of pints also helped. You
0: know, <laughs> yeah, I, we've done that en- 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 enough <laughs> times. Um, so thinking about through, especially from the darkest places, like the, all those near-death experiences, And still being able to crack a smile out of it because you're not giving up and you're fighting. Um, When you think about you, Michael, when do you, you've you've been making all these other people feel so comfortable forever. Like, how do you get yourself to feel comfortable?
1: Mm. I don't know if I I ever will be comfortable because there's always more to do, Dan. There's always more that you wish to do. There's always more that is expected of one. Uh, but um, I'm comfortable right now. I, I'm more comfortable than I have been for a long time. We, we had a major project in India, which is now put on hold. So uh, that was uncomfortable because we were working 24-7, literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, we well, went-
0: uncomfortable. You were working 24-7 and you flew there in the midst of a pandemic. And yeah. I was really nervous for you, but you were just like, yeah, it's we're just so a comfortable- day.
1: Yeah, we spent 33 days in India, the height of the pandemic. But we were also very well taken care of. It was fine. But it was it was a, really a time debilitator. You, you just ate up the time when you could have been doing a lot more with the team here. Mm-hmm. But, hey, it's a part of doing things. You, you don't always have the easiest or best course. Um, and you do the best you can. Number one, precept. I've changed the precepts around now.
0: Okay, Uh, since we started talking, or or since you first
1: since since the last ten years, since I haven't been in in the middle of a a large firm. uh, Now the precepts are: you have to have all the goddamn fun you can have during the project. If you're not going to have fun, I don't want to do the project. I must have turned down thirty projects because I knew they were going to be a pain. And number one is fun. Two, then you learn from the, uh, then you grow and learn from the experience. Three, you're doing the best job you can if you're the first two of that. So I've I just learned. reversed it. Fun is first, uh, enjoyment of the process rather than trying to learn yet again.
0: You know, going back to where you say that you maybe you're never comfortable, maybe those times, those little naps in the, in the library were the times okay. where you were comfortable and recharging, right? You're taking that. But it seems to me, you know, you've always been such a welcoming big bear hug for everyone, everyone around you, all the leaders that you've brought up underneath you. And you've always just seemed to put others first. If that, And, and that kind of tied back to what you were saying about what hospitality is. It's putting other people's needs first. And you know when you said something about grow and learn, even though that may have shifted, I think about how many leaders you've spawned who've gone and left you and, and gone and hung a shingle on their own door. And I can just say for me, I was always in awe that there was never any bitterness. There was always support. And you're so incredibly proud and happy that they're going on their own path. And I think that we need more leaders like that. And I've I've never sensed you harbor any ill will towards anyone who's left.
1: Not at all. Uh, I think (laughs) then then they'll understand some of the the pain that they maybe didn't understand prior to their leader. Uh, But no, why should one be? If you're friends during uh, the time that you're together, why would you not be friends when you're apart? Jimmy Northcutt, he was the best man at my wedding, started his own practice. He was the first one to leave. He was brilliant. He was so good. He was one of the best designers I knew. And I'm sorry he's no longer with us. But he was an amazing guy. As I said, he was best man at my mm-hmm. wedding. Uh, there were so many people like Jim that are still out in the world. And I'm thrilled for them. Uh, Megan Day, and uh, she's running an HBA office up in San Francisco. She worked outside of my office door and she didn't know she couldn't do all the things that I asked her to do, uh, which were a number, which were seven projects instead of one or two. And I just kept throwing things at and she kept doing it. She didn't realize that was impossible. So when you don't realize you can't do it, you do it. And she's probably, uh, a, wonderful icon unto herself now in, in San Francisco. Uh, but so many people are Yeah, Megan
0: are, is a force. Although she hasn't left, she's still there.
1: Uh, well, that's her problem. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell people what to do. Uh, uh, but all the, all the people are, you know, are amazing in their own way
0: so we've we've come to the realization that maybe you're never comfortable and you're always moving forward um and i have always seen your delivery of of hospitality or making others feel comfortable it's just like it's such a a beacon in my life like where did you learn that how did you learn always how to like put others first and and whether it's handing them a beer or a glass of water or or just having them scrub your deck, but feel good about it and welcome. Like, where did you learn that?
1: I don't know if you learn it, Dan, you, uh, you develop it. You you're going along through life. And I always wanted to make, have people feel comfortable. I was a little shy when I was really young. And so it was always difficult for me to have somebody be comfortable around me later in life. And that's what I always would strive for. Uh, comfort is not just the surrounding. Comfort is how you're received. If you're received openly, that's a huge part of hospitality. Um, from, you know, from the business to the personal life. Uh, you are, you're easy, Dan, uh, to welcome with open arms because you're, you're a very really giving person yourself a lot of people have a hard time being in other people's company for whatever reasons. They feel superior or they feel inferior. Neither one of those make any sense. If you're together with someone, you want to give, a, give them an equal playing field so they could communicate, they could do whatever they, they're most comfortable with. And that, that's why I said in hospitality, it's making people feel that they wish to be there it's not a burden on someone else or it's not their burden we want them to feel glad that they are there
0: and i think if- it's really interesting on the being o- on the Or some people are feeling inferior or or superior where if maybe it's that you're just so open-hearted that you are as a magnet attracting other open-hearted people to you
1: I doubt that. (laughs) I don't know. Well, your better
0: half is certainly one of the more open-hearted people. She
1: is outrageously amazing. She's on a Skype. She's on a call right now. Mm. She came and set this computer up so I could talk to you. And then she went over and grabbed hers along with Amy, her daughter. And they're they're saving the world. A hundred thousand people at a time.
0: Well, I like it. And we're just making them a bit more comfortable on their journeys.
1: I hope so, but again, uh, hospitality is is changing totally. And that's why I'm a little concerned about, I don't believe the old way is going to be here with us much longer. And that's, as you, when you introduced me, you told me, you mentioned solely. Well, solely I think is somewhat of the future of the hospitality business, as well as the building business. One of my great icons in my life was Buckminster Fuller. And Dr. Fuller literally in, in a number of lectures that I, I was at with Dr. Fuller and one-on-one said that, well, the medical industry is a few years behind the technology it has. Uh, the science, uh, pure science is about a year and a half. Medical is about four. The building industry is about 400 years behind its technology, which is very true. And we're still building as we did in the 16th, 17th century. We're still putting one block on top of another, some pieces of wood that come together. They get blown over, they get shaken down. Uh, We have to change that whole element. We forgot about the Industrial Revolution. We forgot about the ability to build things technology and really well made and then deliver them to the site you don't have to be on the site as i always say with your butt crack in the air pounding nails into a piece of wood you could deliver an entire package and drop it on the ground from a major building to individual units for hospitality I- i'm
0: fascinated what- by that especially with solely because just to bring everyone up to speed it's using shipping containers as a as a building block, it's almost like it's like uh, kids' toys, but on an industrial scale for to build, to factory build, and then install. So tell us, uh, uh, tell us to more about
1: you, that. Correct you one more time, it's not using a shipping container. The only part of solely that is a shipping container is the skin and the two end doors, and that's so that it can be shipped anywhere in the world via boat. We had to meet the maritime code. Prior to Solely, I worked with Ai Weiwei on a project uh, that he developed, which was uh, a building for himself. And I came up with a concept. Let's not do it the old-fashioned way. Let's do it factory-built. And then we built it so that a 20-foot unit, 20 by uh, 18, would fold down and be compact, which would be about three and a half feet high. And we could shove those into 40 foot containers. And then the container could take them anywhere in the world. And you could take, take the element out and you build this house, uh, 3,200 square foot uh, residential unit. Mm. Uh, however, I started thinking, why am I, what am I gonna do with this 40 foot container? It becomes an outbuilding. It's a, a box from Verizon that you throw away or a box from you know, one of your delivery services. Mm-hmm. So we said, why don't we incorporate this into our units? So they, when they close up and fold up and are diminished in size by half, they're in a container and we never throw it away. We just open it out, drop a deck down and It's part of the container, but it has nothing to do with a shipping container. A shipping container is a cardboard box. What we're doing is a modular dwelling that is shipped like a container. So, one, we don't throw away the box, it's a lot less expensive. You could use it on a truck, a train, you could do it on a boat, a plane. So, you could deliver it anywhere in the world. That was the whole idea, globalization not localization. We're not designing for Hawaii. We're not designing for the U.S. market or wherever. We're designing for the globe. And hospitality is becoming more and more, um, how shall I say, uh, more and more specialized in the adventure mode, the new term glamping. Mm-hmm. Have a tent, charge $1,000 a night and people feel lucky. We put up a solely charge 400 dollars a night and they know they're lucky because it's insulated it has a full bathroom shower bathtub queen-size bed um, tvs internet all built all done. it's
0: amazing and it's it actually exists it can exist off the grid as well because you have solar grid. panels and its own water
1: it's solar water wind and hydrogen hydrogen is the future I'm going to state that for your audience. Hydrogen is the future. We have, uh, in my team, we have three Mirai's, which is uh, uh, hydrogen-powered vehicles. And I also have my uh, Tesla, which is starting to tick me off only because the services are getting too big for their britches. I think
0: think with um, hydrogen being the future, I think that that's something really important because it is the most readily available element that's all, that's all around us always. It's number one on the periodic table. It's the most, there's the, it, it exists in the most quantity. And if we can figure out how to use that for energy, in theory, we have a limitless, stable, clean supply of energy, but I don't know how to have that. I don't well, know how to peel that on you, you.
1: have to. I think you have to uh, address the large petrochemical companies because they will kill hydrogen. They already have once, previously twice they've pulled they've killed hydrogen it's now uh it was developed in japan that's why they didn't have such a hard time killing it and japan mm-hmm. doesn't have petrochemical per se they have to employ the all. Uh, well i
0: think with those petrochemical with, companies i think ultimately they need to realize that they're really energy companies right
1: if they- you know, they're profit motive come on i'm not gonna buy that crap Mm. They're, they're, they're a profit motive and each ceo wants to make as much money as he can so he gets the biggest when he retires he gets the biggest paycheck come on it's okay
0: all- so let so it's it's a in a in essence it's a rigged game there's a moat to bringing hydrogen in but it it also as you were talking about solely and how it can be anywhere at any moment it made me think of the uh the dna swab how only i was surprised only four countries are doing it It seems to me in the same way that that's a blocked resource for DNA, solely, it seems the block resource there is, are the local building departments because, you know, everyone wants to protect their own tribe or whoever goes into building, whatever. So people I think are resistant and the same with energy. So I I guess that's a bigger question, but I'd love your take on how do you fix it?
1: Well, it has to start at the top. Right now, you can't go through the building departments because they have so many antiquated uh, restrictions and rules. They're all antiquated. They're silly, uh, and every every uh, community has different ones. So in California, I think there's sixteen hundred different areas that have their own building codes and restrictions. Just in California, and uh, solely is meant to just be the first idea. I think most things should be factory built. It should be done like they do in Japan, where it's a beautiful clean environment and everybody is wearing a clean suit that day. They're not coming in and throwing stick all over. You, we have to change an attitude. We have to, education is probably the most important thing. We have to educate our population, uh, where th- that's the number one thing. Education is, is so lacking in this, this world and in this country. But it, it is. I think that's the number one problem in the world, is the lack of quality of education, or any then, education at all.
0: But if you, even in, okay, let's say education is fixed. It just seems like such a Herculean task to go and change the hearts and minds of these like calcified, beings or
1: behemoths. You can't. I think you have to show it by example. You have to just do it and it becomes so well done that you cannot deny it any longer. Uh, And that's what Sylvia is doing. That's why we're working on these major projects all over the world. Uh, We had a project in India which we took on because we were told that it was going to be totally green. It would be off the grid we could use hydrogen, we were told all these things, but then there was a time restraints and then other people got involved, the, the uh, people that had to do the work and they reverted back to their old ways. Mm. So that became less gratifying. It became uh, not enticing at all and it became a pain in the butt. But- Do
0: you think with the big movement through all the big Banks and finance entities and governments of this ESG, um, environmental and social governance. Do you think that that can help change what this calcif? What's what's blocking us to this exciting it's future?
1: Server. It's all lip service. If they were to do it, they would do it. It's all lip service. They're all saying what you want to hear, but they're not doing squat, as you well mm-hmm. know. So, as I said, some weird people like ourselves. If we could get these out, and we could have a prototype we were going to do 42 of these at the malibu trailer park but then politics and weird stuff got in the way of that i had 42 of these soldiers ordered uh, for that one spot it would be off the grid they would have been a perfect prototype in it for people to see. so how
0: did it get weird
1: oh an ownership situation uh, mm. from the standpoint of the land no Mm. big deal it happens all the time that's why i'm now taking my hat off to developers because i tried to do that twice now be a developer and found out that there's a lot more to it than having the right idea
0: yeah it's a long game and it's a lot of picture taking baby holding and politicking
1: it's more politicking and uh more corruption than I could ever imagine, yeah. now, but it's there. And uh, you know, I spent more money on, on legal teams than I did on my my design teams and architects and engineers and everything. And they did twenty times more than the uh, attorneys. The attorneys were just playing games.
0: They always win.
1: And they uh, they <laughs> they don't always win because I'm not giving up.
0: Good. Well, so. Thinking about this. Okay, so we've reached this kind of plateau or this block that's stopping hydrogen or revolutionizing the the building um, technology. If we could get past that, like what excites you most about the future?
1: Uh, I think if we can educate the people on the positive nature of doing modular and factory built, housing for the hospitality industry and for the main market in the the country and the world. People are doing it. It's not new. Buckminster Fuller had the Dymaxion home out in 1923. In 1923, local politicians, their trade unions killed it. The trade unions stated that he had to pull all of the plumbing out of them because it was built in a factory, all the electrical out of them, and they had to re-put it in. And the politicians, because they, the trade unions in that period uh, had some, uh, some sway, and uh, the politicians killed his, Dr. Fuller's idea of the Dymaxion home. Uh, there were many of them ordered. He was building them in an the old aircraft plant. So, this is not a new idea. Uh, many things were built elsewhere and then placed on the site. We're so wonderful. it seems
0: to me that education and just seeing what this future is from a it, sustainability, a design I you
1: uh, have to give them an example. Somebody has to have enough money and cojones to, to put prototypes up to prototype elements. Uh, it's just like I can't believe in California we have all this money to t- take care of homeless but the homeless costs cost more than anything. The last the thing was six to eight hundred dollars a square foot for accommodation for homeless. It's ridiculous. I mean, as solely as 426 bucks a foot. Come on, and that was a lot. If we get, if we do a factory built module, uh, and we're doing, let's say, a thousand, we get the price way down. If we're doing 10,000, we get the price way down. The problem is the local, uh, the local. Uh, individuals that have the butt cracks in the sky don't want that. They want to keep the hammer and nails and keep it the old way. That's the problem. We have to educate those people. And maybe they had jobs in that factory setting, but we can't afford to build it over here because of, uh, well, because of uh, uh, the politics, one, and the inability to get people to understand really sustainability.
0: So to really hit, hit to that exciting future from your perspective, it's really about finding a developer who just has the vision and the drive to say like, hey, let's give this a go and see if we can change the hearts and minds. Oh,
1: there, there are hundreds, I've been in touch with literally hundreds of people that wish to do it, but it's always a financial burden, always a, a zoning burden, uh, right now we have the one that's outside my office here, the Soviet is a park model RV It's certified everything that has a license plate, a tag on it, in other words, this could be placed in any, RVs, any RV mm. um, area in, in the country, but it's now we have to go back, because we're building them in China, we have to go back to China with the new restrictions and all the craziness that happened during the Trump administration, um, that has added an additional burden on everyone that was working towards this end. Huge mm. burden. So we have to find out what the cost is going to be again. So it's always there's always things in flux, Dan. Uh, and I think I think this, would, this is the future. Or I wouldn't be playing with it. I'm enjoying it because it is the future. I don't need to do another hotel. I've done 1,400 pro- projects. I don't need to do one more. What I want to do is something for the future. Something that's on the coast of Peru. Something they, they want something in the Galapagos. Something there. Something that could be brought in by boat, dropped in place, not never touch the ground. Don't in, mess up the environment and be off the grid. And withstand force, three hurricanes, withstand seismic uh, events. And that's what we've designed. Something that will withstand hurricanes and seismic everything. Well,
0: but, I, I've seen I've seen it and I think it's an amazing technology. And I, I want you to be successful in this too. So it's interesting because right.
1: I... It's open book, man. Just like Tesla gave uh, the car to everyone, we're giving solely to everyone. It's an open book.
0: No, but I'm talking to people through this podcast and just in general about just this. So um, there are people who are interested and I bet you they just are not aware. So I will just keep this top of mind as I continue talking and I get to shorten your journey towards helping this vision be realized.
1: Well, I think I think your children and my grandchildren will be the ones hopefully to benefit if this all comes to to form. I mean, we're. We're trying to do
0: that. So, uh, thinking of children and 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 grandchildren, think of yourself—the younger you, Michael. Now you're this old bald bear. bear. Yeah. You're, the, you're the shaved bear. Um, if your if your current self went up to your 18 year old self, what advice
1: would you give yourself? <sighs> Go to law school, become one of the corrupt.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy, great.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are so many of them. I I guess it would be a a larger group than architect or designer. Uh, There are more attorneys than there are architects and designers by tenfold. I I believe, I don't know if that's true, but it sure feels like it.
0: Yeah. Uh, I would have to agree with you.
1: I think, uh, as Shakespeare said, the first thing you have to do is kill all the attorneys. <laughs> uh, and
0: uh, oh, so it had, it's not
1: half, a only half the, the politician. Ones, you know.
0: Yeah, it's not a it's not a, new idea. No, it's
1: um, a
0: new idea. Cool. And then so as you're traveling now, I know you don't like getting comfortable, but like as your your travel is increasing. Um, how do you keep yourself kind of sane through all of that?
1: Through travel? Yeah. Uh, books. I still have that. Have a. Oh yeah. Bag of books that I travel with. Read as much as I can. Draw because I'm still drawing. I'm still. I'm not working on the computer for mm. my, my designs. I still draw everything. But we have a lot of wonderful people that are so adept on computer that they will take that chicken scratch, as I call them, and turn it into a, a credible drawing.
0: Yeah, I I was amazed that you were actually able to use this computer we're talking on right now.
1: Well, that was because I could push the button. (laughs) I I, I have a computer under that computer right now that is my old computer from HBA days. And as my tech people said, it was the only virgin computer in the the company. It never was on porn. It was never on anything because I never used the damn thing. (laughs) It was open on my desk, so...
0: Open source virgin computer. I like that. You know, as I thinking about the times when you were healing, when you were really sick and coming out of it, I heard you say this a few times um, and thinking about how the idea of hotels and making people feel comfortable and at home in a hotel. I'm curious for you why it's taken so long or it hasn't even happened as, as it should onto the hospital side and onto the healing side. Well, and to me, that seems like a great injustice, especially with all of your aging boomer compatriots. I don't know why it's not happening more.
1: Well, to be honest with you, Dan, for the last 30 years, I've been trying to do, well, we did one hospital at UC San Diego. We did a hospital, but we made it like a hotel. Uh, we've done... Uh, a big part of what I wanted HBA to go into was senior housing, senior living. I didn't we, we've done it in Japan. We did three hotels in Japan, uh, one a year. that one was sold out in the first two weeks, the next one was sold out the first week and the next one sold out the first day uh, from a standpoint of housing because we made them like very comfortable hotels with restaurants and bar- bars where people would want to go. And I wanted to do that here, but we were so busy doing the run of the mill things that we never got into it. However, we did one in Miami that was my project. It was a senior living that was not meant to be senior living because at my age, I would not want to live with a bunch of old people like me. I want the diversification of young people. the sound of children squealing and running and jumping, the sound of uh, good questions. Like I posed to the owners of the, this property project that, well, the bar should, we should do them in university towns. The bar should be half price for university students. And uh, so that they would come in and then you would be able to mingle with these people and also senior people then go back to the university and continue to grow. So the thing that causes you to fall over and die is the lack of growth. If you're not growing, you're like a plant, you're dying. So I wanna keep enough food in the soil so that we can keep growing. And that's the reason we're doing so. That's the reason we were doing these uh, senior, I don't wanna call them senior because they weren't, they were projects, one in Miami And then we had a big project in Northern California, which was called the heart of California, which was five, well, 20 times bigger than Disneyland, 50 times bigger than Disneyland. In reality, if you want to talk about scale and it, it was really meant to connect Northern and Southern California. And that's when I found out about the attorneys and corruption and how how the state is based on water, not ideas. Oh, so.
0: yeah. A lot of that coming to the surface right now. It seems like you guys are in perpetual drought out there. But I'm also... I, I, so I, I know that you did those handful of projects, and it really is a handful, but there's this huge demographic tsunami that I think people want more from whatever those projects are. And I'm just surprised there aren't more projects in the works right now that really focus on on healing and growth and um, engagement.
1: It's mostly conversation and it's mostly political. People are looking after their own butts and not thinking about the bigger picture. And that's how else can I speak the truth and speak the truth? Uh, come on. Who, who do you know that is above all of this shit? Uh, I, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm disillusioned and uh you know I'm disillusioned okay. for the last four years
0: correct so you're disillusioned but you're also staying very active and you're really working on some incredible projects so you're again I think that ties back into your never give up keep trudging forward keep going forward like you there is no rest
1: no there's no reason to even consider giving up uh because your last breath is when you give up. And uh, I'm still waiting for the damn doctors to pay me my money back because they didn't have to kill me. But Chester, my neighbor, came up to me and I said, when I asked, where's my money? And He says, well, I haven't stopped trying to kill you yet. So I guess doctors have the last.
0: <laughs> Oftentimes they do. But um, I know that you have so much more ahead of you. And I'm excited for every new project and every dream that you're chasing down. And it just shows me that I can go through my life always dreaming and always trying to achieve. And you inspire me to that.
1: You're doing remarkable, John. And you're doing, And I always judge a man on how he is with his children because I was such a lousy father. And I have to commend you on how wonderful you are with your kids. I watch it. I experience it. And bravo! You're terrific. You're very much a surrogate son, but you're very, you're very much like Misha and Elia, my sons. And of course, there's all kind of crazy other surrogates out there, like you know Dan Seymour and Byron Wong. Oh
0: so, yeah, I want to get in touch with Byron, but um,
1: you should talk to Byron. He's starting a whole new company in in uh, Portugal, cool. yeah, uh, in Lisbon fantastic uh, amazing concepts uh so catch up with uh mr ryan also mr schultz if you want to talk about hospitality
0: yeah Uh, i i definitely he's on he's on the list of people to talk to because you've connected with uh me you've connected me with him before and he is uh quite amazing Uh, my question to you is when are we going to go on a safari again
1: uh whenever the heck you wish they're talking about christmas this year you want to go
0: Maybe I got to talk to my boss.
1: I know uh, my boss is the one that's putting this together. Amy, uh, they're talking about going to their house in, in Kenya. So oh, maybe we could make it a big joint uh, because that was so much fun that Christmas with all. The oh, time.
0: my God. Memorable.
1: I loved every minute. I remember I was book on my face lying on the sofa in the tent with uh, uh, Jimmy when at his age talking to your, your son. And they were saying, well, how did Papa uh, meet Nana? And I remember Jimmy saying, well, uh, uh, Nana was on a pole. She was a pole dancer. (laughs) (laughs) Because I told the kids I met Nana, uh, she was a pole dancer. So the kids didn't know what that meant, but Nana was on a pole.
0: Oh, I must have missed that one. I must have been uh, I, I, out on uh, safari or, or snoozing.
1: Oh, you were on safari. <laughs> you were always on safari. I was snoozing, but it was so great. Those little kids behind the sofa whispering. Yeah.
0: Uh, I want to get Ninian and Lara on this too, because as far as um, thinking about that experience of hospitality in the middle of the bush, oh. it was freaking like from another planet. So and amazing.
1: Perfect for this, for a lodge spending spending thirty million dollars on a lodge, you spend three million. Big difference. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, hello
0: That's all right. Um, well, listen. I just want to say, Michael, thank you so much for your time. I am so grateful, and I appreciate it.
1: Well, Dan, thank you, and I'm looking forward to seeing you and the family out here as soon as you can. And let's find a way to go to Africa or wherever. Help.
0: Yes. Okay. Well, the first step is out there and I want to, so just thank you. I want to thank our listeners. Um, and if this helped you realize and see that we should never give up and keep going and put others first, uh, if you re- if that really resonated with you, please uh, share this podcast with a friend. Thank you everyone. And we'll see you next time.